up in the hills of Ibiza. It's about 9 a.m. It's a quite a cloudy day. First cloudy day and it feels like months. This summer the heat has been extraordinary and the sun has been really quite intense. So it's refreshing to have a bit of a break from that intensity, though it remains a bit muggy. I'm looking out over the landscape with beautiful, vibrant green that is, seems to be unique to the pine trees here, especially when set against the dry uh, red soil and the sea in the background to the south as well as the sea to the north. I've been wondering how to introduce this next episode, which is about making the implicit explicit and doing what one can to decreasing the uncertainty in themselves and, and in others when possible. And how uh, the real quality and value, I think, of a person and of a life lived well is how well they can live with self-honesty. Being honest to other people can be hard enough, but to be honest to oneself can be one of the hardest things we do because we have to ask questions uh, that we maybe don't want to ask. And so I've been thinking about how how should I introduce this? And I decided what I would do is to do something I rarely do on social media, podcasts or blogs and blogs, which is to do something a bit personal. Uh, And what I want to talk about is how my own pursuit of self-honesty today required me um, having to apologize, or rather not having to, but choosing to apologize. Yesterday there was a situation, and that situation I felt was really provocative. Uh, I felt the person was being wholly unreasonable, projecting their frustration that they had for themselves outward, or just you know not being the best person that they could be in a way. Uh, and rather than doing what I talk about, um, choosing to respond in a way that would um, not just diffuse the situation, but would be of value to the situation and value to the person, I responded to anger with anger. I responded to rage with rage. And I woke up early this morning, about five in the morning, thinking about it. And, and I was thinking, how is it that I you know, we'll talk about pursuit of self-honesty and, and that while we don't have agency over necessarily what happens to us, but we do have agency over how we respond to what happens to us, uh, that how coincident would be that I'm releasing a new podcast about how we respond to the world and how that refi- refine, um, refines us, reflects us, and creates us. So This morning, I spent a good deal of time thinking about that and and eventually writing an apology to this person. And not an apology saying, I'm sorry for how you might felt by, how how you might have felt by my response, but rather responding for the response itself, saying it was not beautiful. And right now I believe that life, at least for myself, should be in the pursuit of beauty. It's not how I would want to have been, and that created distress for me and it would have created distress for the other person whether or not they deserved it is irrelevant in some sense because it was my response to what they were doing so I took the step to apologize 
um, both to them as well as to myself and to take further steps to recognizing and and deciding to try as best as possible not to let that happen again. I'm sure it might, I'm sure it probably will, but at least we can only change when we have the awareness of something that we want to change. And change can only start in that point, but in order to do so, you have to recognize that there's something that isn't within you that needs to change. And often that requires an apology, apology to self, an apology to the person, whether or not the other person might have induced this in you. You have the agency in how you respond. That's what this episode is about. Taking agency in your life, not about what happens to you, but how you respond to what happens to you. And the best way to do that, in my view, is to pursue that self-honesty that requires you to ask questions of yourself and to reflect on how and why you see the world the way it does. To put yourself in a position of seeing yourself see in order to be able to see yourself see differently. I hope you find value in this next episode. A few weeks ago, my adventure into uncertainty turned right to the UK, which was my home for 25 years. I arrived in November 3rd so that I could be in the nation's month-long first lockdown with my three gorgeous gremlins. November 3rd was the day the US thought it would find closure. It didn't. For only a metaphorical 32 seconds, we had collective clarity of what tomorrow was. But that tomorrow didn't come. What came, what has been purposefully created, was more uncertainty. For 25 years, my lab misfits has studied how and why the brain fears uncertainty. But sometimes certainty is even worse. ALS is certainty. Within five years of being diagnosed, 90% of those with ALS are certain to die. Not suddenly, but progressively, day by day. The neurons that control our muscles degenerate, often beginning with the legs, with an inexplicable ache or maybe a twitch then an innocuous stumble. As months pass, your legs are no longer your own. Walking becomes impossible. Then it's the motor neurons that control your arms. You lose the ability to throw a ball to your child. Then the ability to hold your child. Feeding yourself stops and you need to be fed. Then speech. First, it's slurred. Then only those closest to you can understand what others perceive to be mumblings. Eventually, even they can't understand. Finally, breathing. Our most basic, most essential behavior stops. You suffocate, not quickly. And through it all, your ability to think and feel remain. You see and feel every loss, every degenerative step. You're acutely aware of what is happening and what will happen. And there is no cure for ALS yet. The reality created by ALS is clear. I'm going into detail here for a reason. Because I'd like you to sit and imagine, if only for a minute, a moment that your imaginary doctor makes certain the uncertainty of your imaginary elements. It's ALS, she tells you. You hear the words. You know its significance. Can you imagine what that might feel like? Even contemplating the mere thought of it from the safety of imagination is hard. So hard that you might even resist, even look away. 
but it's important not to because that moment happens. It's a reality 15 times a day in the US, a certainty that no one wants. In such times, uncertainty becomes a refuge of hope, not fear. And where there is hope, you'll find a willing mind. At that moment, what do you think about? Looking back in your life, would you have wished that you had more stuff or let more go? Would you be happy with the number of times you sacrificed love and integrity to the altar of delusional pride? Would you be happy with your anger and your anger management issues, with your rage? I want you to imagine the moment of diagnosis because today, the day of writing these words, Pat Quinn died at 30 years old of ALS. He was diagnosed in 2013, and while his body progressively stopped, he expressed in action remarkable courage and care to make a movement that moved the world, or at least a good part of it. You'll have heard of the Ice Bucket Challenge that raised over $220 million for ALS research and more. That was Pat. He not only started it, he maintained it throughout with an ever-increasing number of compassionate advocates. In his most hospitable years of life, he added to life by creating hope for others. He chose to transform his degeneration into inspiration. The source of adventures is sometimes joy, but it can also be pain or fear or loss. Which brings me to the point of this episode. Inspiring people to do they not only express themselves in words, they manifest those words in action. We all know what we're supposed to say, especially if you have a creative and intelligent mind. Virtual signaling and being woke are relatively easy, but it's what you actually do that speaks to truth, and more importantly, the authentic alignment between intentions and actions, which I wrote about and have talked about in previous episodes. When I was growing up, I had several books that were favorites. The Berenstein Bears was one such series. In The Berenstein Bears, the young cub was an adventurer. His father, however, always needed to prove himself. And in doing so, he invariably created chaos for those around him and for himself. But the father had self-honesty, at least of a sort. At the end of each story, he'd say, this is what you should not do, so let that be a lesson for you as if it were all by design. In a previous episode of this series, I raised attention to what quantifiably defines a good leader. One, lead by example. Two, admit mistakes. And three, see qualities in others. I will add one more, wisdom. Yes, not all contexts are our own making. This is to be sure. But how we respond to context is. When you find yourself in a challenging context, ask yourself these questions. Do my actions increase or decrease the effort I have to make? Or am I transforming my effort onto others? Do my actions increase or decrease my personal responsibility for the context that was created? Or am I transferring my responsibility onto others? Do my actions take ownership of their results, or am I transferring the consequence, the blame of those results onto others, and yet taking credit when all goes well? Did I create the context? Am I being honest? Someone jumps in the water. You, being kind, attempt to save them. They are thankful. Though thankful, they take no responsibility for the fact that they just jumped in. 
They may even blame others for being pushed. Or more insipid, they narrate that the foolishness of jumping in was actually in service of another's benefit. Indeed, almost every bad action that has been done has been done in service of others, from the crusades to the emotional abuse to entitlement, often unknowingly, often strategically. Here's a quote from Machiavelli. It is unnecessary for a prince to have all the qualities that I have described, but it is very necessary to appear to have them. And I shall dare to say this also, that to have these qualities and always to observe them is dangerous, and to appear to have them is useful. A prince should appear merciful, faithful, kind, religious, upright, but should he be flexible enough to make use of the opposite qualities when it is necessary? End of the quote. Then they notice that you pull them out of water onto a rug that is now wet and get angry that you ruined it, since after all, had you cared, you'd have anticipated this and pulled them out over there. The above is a variation of what is called the abusive cycle. When we blame others, we eliminate the very thing we have control over, ourselves. We might try to self-justify by saying to ourselves that the situation is beyond my control, or get angry, which will trigger certainty in your brain. And yet, not taking ownership actually disempowers your brain and increases your fear of the future, as you still don't want that thing to happen. The only way to ensure that it doesn't is to either control the one who you blamed or force them to take ownership. Taking ownership empowers, which is why saying sorry and knowing why you're sorry is good not only for the other person's brain, but also for yours. Though a step into vulnerability, it's a proactive step towards self-realization. And an important aside is that you'll be more likely to increase another's respect towards you for it, though we so often fear assume the opposite. As we've discussed before, but just to remind ourselves, since it's important, is that true freedom lives not where things are wonderful, it lives where things are difficult, challenging, in conflict, and poor health, as in the case of Pat. When good things happen, it's pretty obvious what one should do next. Keep doing what you were doing before. When things are difficult, that's when you have the freedom of choice. You can look at the obvious, anger or jealousy and hate and despair, or you can look away from the obvious. Attention is less about what you look at, it's what you look away from. A leader is the personification of a set of ideals and principles. It's a concept. It's the embodiment of a set of principles and ideals that transcend the person. Doing it well requires deconstructing oneself. What is true for a president is true in any form of leading, whether in business or in love which is why great leaders look away from what is for their benefit if it is not serving all the people, the institutions or structures they lead. We are often blind to ourselves, which is why the best person to reveal you to you is usually not you. It's someone else. Hence the importance of pursuing self-honesty, not simply on one's own, but with those who truly care for you. Caring does not mean enabling nor does it necessarily mean validating. It means wanting to understand, to discover the truth of yourself or another person, to help you uncover the assumptions and biases that are foundational to your actions, good or bad. It could even require 
questioning the identity that you define yourself by. Which is why true care and friendship and support or love is a risk. Enablers prioritize validation over understanding. Enablers prioritize you away from wisdom, turning you into a character of you. Through enabling, they encourage the fears and ways of being that ultimately do not serve you or are harmful to you or others. Does that sound familiar in today's politics? So surround yourself with people who want to understand you, even if that understanding challenges who you thought to be true about you. And finally, don't weaponize the uncertainty of others or indeed of yourself. This is an all too common strategy in relationships from a leader and its citizens to a loving couple. Your brain hates uncertainty. If you've been listening to these episodes, you'll know that it was evolutionally a bad idea to not know, which is why one of our greatest needs is closure, to experience that gorgeous moment when we go from not knowing to knowing. Your brain is wired to crave resolution, but this craving can be used against you and you will likely have used it against another person. A scenario might be like this. You and I are in a relationship and you ask me a question about something that is of importance to you, but which I have some agency over. Rather than give you a clear answer, I'm vague, aloof, implicit. I create ambiguity in my response. I might justify this to myself by being in service. They wouldn't understand, or they might get upset. Or if I'm even more Machiavellian, I might even be the creator of the ambiguity, the uncertainty in the first place by creating the ambiguity about something that is important to you and being the only person who can then resolve that same ambiguity. I've created a power dynamic, purposely or otherwise, that disempowers you and empowers me. Put simply, I now have an element of control over you. Creating uncertainty in another person is related to one of the four horsemen of relationships called stonewalling, which destroys love, going silent, refusing to engage, creating or at least keeping another person in ambiguity. It happens all the time. You see it in the run-up to elections, when uncertainty will be created and the hopeful leader will claim that they are the only ones who can create closure. It's why our current leadership is creating doubt over the election itself. It's a form of manipulation. It's using perception against you. It's powerful. It's strategic. It's Machiavellian. But it's also obvious once you know how, where to look. And it happens often in loving caring relationships far more often than people realize. So when possible, make the implicit explicit. It's generous. Decrease uncertainty where you can. It's a risk since honesty of self can create vulnerability, but it's also how you create life. Why does any of this matter? Pursue grace as embodied by Pat. Grace is an unsung hero. Grace is hard because it's called upon when contexts are hard in contexts in which grace matters. Harder still is to see and accept when we are not being graceful. Thank you for listening. My name is Bo Lotto and thank you for listening to my Expanding Perception podcast, which will be an ever-expanding story of the neuroscience of uncertainty and how we can not just cope with it, but expand because of it. My aim in creating this podcast is really to try to help you increase your perceptual intelligence, 
which will give you the ability to make the decisions and take the actions that will foster a more loving, adaptable, and optimistic life in an increasingly uncertain world. My hope is that this podcast will help you in your journey to self-honesty, which is one of the hardest journeys we can take in our life, since it's a never-ending practice and might take you to places that you might want to avoid. But if you have the courage and compassion to go on this journey, you'll find that it's worth it, and it will create true authenticity in your way of being. A deeper consideration of many of the ideas in the Expanding Perception podcast can be found in my book, Deviate, The Creative Power of Transforming Your Perception. You can also follow me and my Lab of Misfits on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also take part in experiments on the Lab of Misfits website that we've designed just for you to help you better understand who you are. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy these episodes.